right, open your Bibles this morning to the book of 3rd John. We're going to look this morning at a character, uh, a person uh, here in the book of 3rd John that John is writing uh, this letter to, but you know, as, as we look at this, I want to look at it in, in a different context than maybe we've looked at it or maybe you've heard it in the past. Because, you know, in the society in which we live, sometimes it gets hard to define truth. Case in point, I was scrolling through Facebook the other day and I saw a great quote from Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, the quote was, you can't believe everything you read on Facebook. Okay, case in point, that uh, the internet makes it so easy to spread lies, to spread falsehoods, and so many times we get caught up in those because it looks so true. Okay, it looks so true that we get caught up in it. And I'm not trying to make a political statement here, but sometimes even a major news network or a local news network gets embarrassed because a reporter saw something on the internet and thought it was real, and they did a, this happens. They did, they've done stories on things to then find out, hey, guess what? That was fake news, okay? I mean, not in ways that you hear fake news in other places. But anyway, I'm not making a political statement. Sometimes even journalists mess up. And I can tell you it's embarrassing. You know, in a previous life, it feels like it was a previous life, I worked as a journalist. I worked at a couple different uh, weekly newspapers. I worked as a reporter for a daily newspaper. And from time to time, we had to print a correction. And those were not good days to be in the newsroom when we had to print a correction. Especially when I uh, worked at the daily newspaper in Arkadelphia, and my editor there did not like to print a correction. Now, he did, without hesitation. But he didn't like to print a correction because that meant we messed up. We should have done it right the first time. But you know what? At least our mistakes were never intentional. But we live in a world that is dead set on confusing us. We live in a world that's dead set on doing anything that it can to deceive us. And we know that's the case because as we read the Scriptures, we know that Satan himself is the prince ruler of this world. And Jesus said Satan is the author of of all lies. It doesn't matter who tells the lie. It it ultimately came from Satan. The world doesn't want us to know the truth, and I'm not talking about the truth as it comes to a political situation or anything else. I'm talking about the world doesn't want us to know this truth. And the world wants us to be sensitive, right? Sensitive to the world's ways and tolerant of the, the only thing we ought to tolerate is the truth. And the reason that our world is like that is because Satan rules it. And when the truth is distorted, hope is lost. And when hope is lost, there's really nothing else to hold on to. And so as Christians, sometimes we struggle with the right words to say to a person who is going through a hopeless situation. My mind has been on this a lot lately as we've dealt with the issues uh, at SAU and two students who unfortunately found themselves in completely hopeless situations and decided there was nothing else that they could do in this world. We can say, I'll pray for you. 
We can say, I'll pray for your family. But is that really enough to say those words? Maybe we'll just sum it all up and say, you know what the world really needs is more Jesus. And that's the truth. The world really does need more Jesus, but, you know, we really need to do more than just say it because we are the hands and feet of Jesus, the Scripture teaches. So this morning, as we're looking in the book of 3 John, we're going to look at a guy who demonstrated that, a guy who demonstrated to us how to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I do a lot better when I have an example to follow. You know, I mean, whether it comes to living a Christian life, I do a lot better when I have an example to follow. Or whether it comes to math, I do a whole lot better on a quiz I did in high school when they put an example at the top, right? We need an example to follow. And I'm glad God has given us so many examples to follow in his word. So this morning, we're going to look at the example of Gaius. And we find him in the book of 3 John. Now, I want to tell you, we don't know a lot about Gaius. Now, in several other places in the New Testament, the name Gaius is used. This is one of the most common names of the first century. When, When these events were taking place, Gaius was one of the most common names. And since we don't have a lot of other context behind who he is in this letter, we don't know if he's any of the other Gaiuses that are mentioned. We don't know anything about him except what's mentioned here. And what we'll find here is that in a world that could have easily been hopeless, Gaius was set on fanning on the flames of truth. He was determined to do whatever it took to get the truth to a lost and a dying world. He's the kind of Christian I want to be. And I hope that as we look at his life, what we look at what we know here about him, and as we leave here, I hope we can all say the same. So read with me, if you will, in 3 John, I would say chapter 1, it's the only chapter, beginning in verse 1. 3 John, beginning in verse 1, John writes, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoiced greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey, In a manner worthy of God, you will do well, because they went forth for his name's sake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Let's pray together this morning. Gracious God, thank you for your word, and thank you for the examples you give us to follow in your word. I pray that we'll be able to take the lessons from Gaius' life that you present to us here in 3 John, and we'll be able to apply those to our lives even today as we leave this place. And ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at the ministry of Gaius this morning, I want you to know this. It's obvious in the text as, as we read through it, but I want you to know this. The ministry of Gaius was primarily, as John points out here, he ministered to preachers and traveling ministers who came through his area. 
And so, but we can take and we can apply these same principles to everybody we meet. So as we look at his, his life, hospitality was a very important thing culturally in this day. When somebody showed up at your house, even unexpectedly, you rolled out the red carpet. How many of us do that today? Let me tell you. Call us if you're coming over. <laughs> Truett loves to play toys in the living room. And I love to pick them up before anybody comes over. You know, it looked like a tornado went off because of all of his stuff. But, you know, today, in today's society, we don't really like for people to show up unexpected in a lot of houses. I remember my grandfather, he was, he was a pastor, and every Tuesday night, I remember this when I was a little boy. Every Tuesday night, he went out on visitation. He and another gentleman from their church, usually one of their deacons or another one of the men, and they would go out and they would visit. And they didn't call and tell people they were coming. These were prospective members. These may have been members who just hadn't shown up in a while. They just showed up at your house, Okay. I would be afraid I would get shot if I did that today. Okay? You don't know what you're walking into. Times have changed as far as that strategy goes. People are not as receptive to strangers or folks just showing up. Some people are. Most people of, of my generation are not as receptive to people just showing up. But Gaius knew that hospitality was not just a cultural obligation. It was a Christian duty. You know, as we, as we study the early church, and if we were to look at Acts chapter 2 and study how the early church worked, of course, they didn't have beautiful buildings like we have today. They didn't have mega churches. They met in homes. That's where their churches met. And they ate together, and they prayed together, and they studied God's Word together. And Acts chapter 2 says they did it every single day. So let me just stop and get on a soapbox for just a second and ask, they did it every day. Why can't most of us do it on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? Right? They did it every single day. They met in homes and studied God's Word together. Hospitality was a Christian duty. And you know, you can say, well, Brother Jeremy, you're just saying that. But no, it is both commanded and commended in Scripture. If you look in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Paul commanded the Christians to whom he was writing to be given to hospitality. Be hospitable to those with whom you come in contact. In Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. That fascinates me because I believe that every word of this book is true. 
And it says, be hospitable to strangers. Because by doing so, some have entertained angels unaware. Even though John is commending Gaius in our text about his hospitality shown towards ministers of the gospel, we can apply the same principles to our lives and how we treat everyone with hospitality. But I want you to think about one more point before we get to our main points from this text. And I just want to throw something out there as to maybe why hospitality has gone by the wayside. Remember what we said about the early church and how hospitable the early church was? And how the early church, they met in homes? I want to throw this out there for thought. It's just one of those provoking thoughts. Maybe we're not as hospitable today because our homes and our home lives are not what they ought to be. Just something to think about. But as we look at the example of Gaius and how this life of, of encouraging others and spreading the truth and spreading hope, what do we see? The first thing we see is in verse 2. When John says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. The first thing John said was, he said that Gaius' soul prospers. What does that mean? The word translated prosper here is used only two other times other than in 3 John. It's only used two other times in the New Testament, and it means to succeed. He says, I hope you succeed. He says, it also means hope things go well or that you enjoy favorable circumstances. I hope in your life you enjoy favorable circumstances just as your soul prospers. Did you catch what he just said? I hope your life prospers as much as your soul prospers. When I read this, and then I went back and I read it again, and I thought, whoa, I'm in trouble. If, if what John says is true, he hopes Gaius prospers as much as his soul prospers. Let me ask you this question. Would you be in trouble if tomorrow you logged on to your online banking or you called the bank and they said, well, I'm sorry, Mr. or Mrs. so-and-so. Your bank account is only going to prosper this week in accordance to how your spiritual life prospered last week. That's pretty much what John is saying to Gaius. I hope you prosper in everything else as much as you prosper in your soul. What would our relationships look like with our spouses or with our children or with anyone else if our relationships only prospered as much as our relationship with God in in accordance and in line with how much our relationship with God prospers? Think about this. And he's saying this here. What if our physical health only prospered to the extent that our spiritual health prospered? How much trouble would we be in? Let me tell you, can I just be real with you? Can I just be honest with you? There'd be a lot of days I'd be in a lot of trouble. There'd be a lot of days I'd be hungry because there may not be a lot of money in the bank account if my bank account's only going to prosper to the extent that my spiritual life prospered that day. That really ought to be a wake-up call for a lot of us. Get this. 
In 2015, that's the latest I could find, Americans spent $3.2 trillion, that's a T, trillion dollars on health care. Americans spent $3.2 trillion on their physical health. Now, what's remarkable is that $60 billion of that, with a B, $60 billion, was spent in the weight loss industry. That's how much Americans spent focusing on physical health. How much during that time did they spend focused on their spiritual health? Well, as close as I could come to finding statistics on that was a survey conducted around the same time. Let me read you a little bit of this. It's really sickening when it comes down to it. This says, more than three Americans, or 77% of Americans, think the nation's morality is headed downhill. Now, I agree with those 77%. The nation's morality is headed downhill. This is a Barna Group survey. The survey showed the Bible is still firmly rooted in American soil. 88% of respondents said they own a Bible. 80% think the Bible's sacred. 88% own a Bible. 80% think it's sacred. 61% wish they read the Bible more. Okay, that's something you can do something about. If you wish you read your Bible more, you're the only one who can fix that. And the average household has 4.4 Bibles, okay? I guess some people only have four-tenths of a Bible. Anyway, I don't know, it has something to do with math. And Okay, here's something else. Almost a third of respondents said moral decline was a result of people not reading the Bible. Yet if they do read it, 57% of the people surveyed said they read it four times a year or less. 57% read their Bible four times a year or less, while a third think that the lack of reading the Bible is the reason we have moral decline. It gets worse because it says younger people also seem to be moving away from the Bible. A majority, or 57%, of those ages 18 to 28 said they read their Bible less than three times a year, if at all. While we spent $60 billion to lose five pounds to gain it back next week, the nation's going morally bankrupt. Do we care about the way our spiritual life prospers as much as we care about the way our physical health prospers? Or do we care about the way our spiritual life prospers as much as we care about the way our bank account prospers? These are serious questions that we ought to ask ourselves every day. And Gaius was so effective at spreading hope and spreading the truth and helping, faithfully helping those with whom he came in contact because he was more concerned about the way his spiritual life prospered than he was about anything else. And I challenge you this morning that that's what we need to be thinking about. How can we ensure that our soul and that our spiritual life prospers? We live the way Gaius lived. How do he live? Look at verse 3. John says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you, just as you walk 
in the truth. Well, the first thing to make sure our soul prospers is to make sure the truth is in us. Where's the truth found? Truth's only found right here. This is the only truth that is. You want your soul to prosper? you got to feed it with the truth. The truth cannot be found in the world. If you spend more time watching TV than you do reading God's Word, your soul's not going to prosper. If you spend more time on Facebook than you do studying God's Word, your soul is not going to prosper the way it did for Gaius. But you don't just have to have the truth in you. You've got to live it out. Walk in the truth. We can't just grow up, I mean, we can't just say something like, well, I grew up in church, learned all those Bible stories, great Bible stories, by the way, learned all those Bible stories. I know everything I need to know about the Bible. I had perfect attendance in Sunday school growing up. I didn't, but somebody probably does, you know, super kid out there somewhere had perfect attendance in Sunday school, but you know what, even, even that kid doesn't know all they need to know. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said something that we, we could, a lot of us could quote this verse of Scripture. Paul said, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He said, Don't let your mind be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? You don't renew your mind by simply thinking over all the stuff you learned in the past. The only way our minds can be renewed is by constantly feeding our minds new doses of the truth. It's the only way our minds can ever be renewed. Gaius' soul prospered because he walked in truth. And the truth was in him. And I pray that all of us will be able to say the same thing. But you know, he didn't just have a soul that prospered. Look at what else we find out about Gaius. In verse 5, it says, Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. John's not saying, I want you to do faithfully whatever you do. He's saying, I've already been told. I already know that you do things. You do faithfully work. There it is again. I mentioned this, I think, last time I preached. Somebody might get tired of me talking about faith and how faith produces works or ought to. But here it is again. John says, I see you're working faithfully. Genuine faith is lived out. It's not just talked about. It's not just thought about. Genuine faith has to be lived out. And maybe you're saying, well, yeah, it was easy for Gaius to be nice to the preacher. I guess depending on who the preacher is, most of the time it's easy to be nice to the preacher. I want to disqualify myself there in case any of you don't want to be nice to me. You have my permission. It's easy. Easy for Gaius. He's just dealing with ministers. You know, not all preachers are easy to deal with. 
I'm sure Gaius had some that kept passed through from time to time that may not have been too easy to deal with. But you know what? John says he didn't just, it wasn't just with people he knew. It wasn't just with people he loved. It was with those who were strangers as well. It's easy to show hospitality and to provide hope and the truth to people that you know and people that you love. But Gaius did it to those who were strangers as well. And look at the effect. Look at the effect of doing this. We find it in verse 6. We'll start back in verse 5 because that's where the sentence starts. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. They've borne witness of your love before the church. I want to infer a few things from the Scripture here. Of course, first it tells us they bore witness. We know they went back and told everybody about what Gaius had done for them. These folks that Gaius helped, these folks that Gaius provided hope to, went back and told everybody what Gaius did for them. Why? Because of the faithful love that he showed towards these brethren and strangers brought joy to their life. You see, the hospitality of Gaius brought joy to these people's lives. You say, how do you know that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that it brought joy to their lives. I believe we can infer that from Scripture. Because this says these folks went back and they told, they stood and told the whole church, how do you think it went down? Do you think they walked up before the church and said, man, can you believe that Gaius? Can you believe he was hospitable towards me? No. That's not what they did. John wouldn't be praising him if that's what they did. They went back and they said, this guy, Gaius, he's amazing. He rolled out the red carpet. He provided, I mean, we were down in the, we were traveling in. We were retired. We were weary. We didn't know where else to go. Gaius rolled out the red carpet for us. Gaius pulled out all the stops. You know, Gaius probably from time to time was going through some tough times himself if he's human. You can't tell me Gaius woke up every day and was having a good day. You can't tell me he woke up every day and was feeling 100%. He's human. But yet John said, all these people who come through say, you know what? Gaius gave us hope because of the way he treated us. They did it with a renewed sense of happiness and joy. And above all, I do believe that their hope was renewed because Gaius showed them hospitality throughout life. So what do we do with this? What, what, do, what do we do as we move from today into our work week and into the rest of our lives? What do we do with this? Well, I hope we'll strive to be like Gaius. Because you know what? We live in a world that needs hope. Absent what has happened at SAU... There's a lot of folks at SAU who need hope after what's happened there. But I bet you'll walk into any situation in life this week and you will encounter somebody who just needs a little hope. They just need somebody to wrap their arms around them, literally or figuratively or in whatever way you're comfortable. They just need somebody to love them like Jesus. 
You see, that's all Gaius did. Was these people came into his life and he loved them the way the Father would. That's all we need to do. And you never know when you come into contact with a person from day to day, you never know what's really going on at home. A lot of people fake it really well. You never know what's going on behind the scenes. You never know what's going on in their life. They just need somebody to give them the love of Jesus. The world needs somebody to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to be faithful in everything we do, just the way Gaius was, to be hospitable, to make people feel loved, and to make people feel welcomed. In spite of what they may or may not have done or who they may or may not be. Because God doesn't have blinders. We can only do this if we commit to be like Gaius in spirit. Striving to prosper in spirit. Filling our lives with the truth. And setting out every day with the commitment to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. I hope you'll commit to that this week. As the musicians come and we prepare for our invitation, I don't know where this leaves you this morning. I know where it leaves me. I know where parts of this message have hit me. Boy, they've hit me right in the gut. What would your life look like this week? If you only prospered to the point that your spiritual life prospered last week, do you have some things that you need to change this week so that that might look a little different? This is the time that maybe where you're at or in this altar, you may want to spend a little time talking to the Father and ask Him to help you and show you the truth of His word, out of His Word to help you correct that. Maybe this morning you're hopeless. Maybe this morning you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you want to know more about how you can do that and secure your eternity in heaven, and I would love to share that with you. Whatever God has laid on your heart this morning, I hope you'll deal with that as we stand and we sing.